0: Welcome to the Sifted Podcast, supported by our sponsors, Zendesk for Startups, and recorded at Dream Factory, the content creation house for startups.
1: I'm Eleanor, Sifted's Deputy Editor. And I'm Amy, Sifted's
0: Editor. And at Sifted, we are a media platform reporting on Europe's tech and startup sector. And every week on this podcast, we have a little peek inside the Sifted newsroom. We hear what our reporters have been up to all over Europe and we talk about some of the latest news stories on the site
1: so today we're going to be talking to our fintech reporter amy o'brien about how fintechs are trying to make life easier for immigrants and expats we're going to be looking at some of the biggest news that's becoming out of european tech this week and amy who's in Riga, is actually going to be talking to a special guest at the end of the show so amy you're not in the same little pod booth thing with me. Where are you? What are you doing?
0: No, I'm in a, I'm in a whole other booth in a whole other country. I am in Riga in Latvia at TechCell, which is the, I've been told, the biggest tech conference in the Baltics. It's not that big. <laughs> I arrived oh. and I saw all three, all three stages and I was like, oh, this is not on the same scale as Slush. But I guess Slush is... A big un So far, I've been on a panel on whether VCs can save the planet. I think the answer was no, <laughs> or at least no, not alone, but that founders could possibly with the right support. And I've met Aronis, which is a Latvian company that is today announcing that it's raised a nine million dollar seed funding round. And. They are pretty cool. So they basically have designed all these robots that can maintain wind turbines. So the wind turbine industry is obviously growing by 10 times in the next five to seven years. And the maintenance industry itself is pretty big. It's currently $30 billion and that's expected to double. And this, you know, Latvian company that a year ago was 20 people, it's now 150 people. It was going to be 400 people. Is um, kind of built the market leading way to fix your wind turbines and make sure that they're efficient and the blades don't snap off and, you know, millions of dollars worth of damage isn't done because they just fix stuff early. So pretty cool. Obviously, with the war in Ukraine and with the gas prices going up, you know, we really, really need sort of more green energy.
1: Christmas 2022 is hottest Christmas present. Fix your wind turbine.
0: With a fun robot.
1: (laughs) What other news do we have on this week, Amy?
0: So in other sustainability-related news, or climate tech, as our climate tech reporter Freya wants us to now call it, she says sustainability is a bit hemp bags, which makes me feel ancient, but I'm like, okay, we'll roll with this. So this company called Remilk, which is an Israeli startup, which we spoke about on the pod a few weeks ago, it's basically figured out a way to make milk products in the lab without actually involving any cows. It announced that it has purchased the land to build a 750,000 square foot facility, like a lab in Denmark, that is, if you're struggling with the size, about the size of nine football pitches. So it's pretty massive. And it will be able to produce the same amount of milk as 50,000 cows.
1: Sounds super cool. I would love to taste the milk. So tell me a little bit more, Amy, about what re-milk actually do.
0: Well, actually, it's slightly misleading to say milk, because they probably won't be starting with milk. They'll probably be starting with things like yogurt and ice cream, because in many countries, the milk industry is still heavily subsidized. So although they can get to price parity with things like yogurt reasonably soon, it will be very hard for them to compete with the price of milk lots of people pay in the supermarket.
1: Super interesting. Well, ice cream that would be really cool to try. We had some other like interesting climate tech or sustainability related news about one small round out of the UK in particular. Could you tell us a little bit about that, Amy, and why we picked to cover this round that, you know, is on the smaller side?
0: So there was also a company called Sojo, which raised money this week, which we all think is a really, really cool company. They raised $2.4 million. Uh, It's a London-based company run by a woman called Josephine. And it's basically helping us repair our clothes. Because, you know, if you get a hole in something, you maybe lots of people throw it away these days. But if we could easily fix that stuff, then, you know, maybe we wouldn't be buying as much new fashion which we all know is not great for the environment so that
1: sounds all well and good but don't you still have to like send the clothes in and that also you know has an environmental footprint kind of like what Kai talks about on the last episode
0: yeah so Sojo's got this network of seamsters So at the moment, they're people who already kind of have sewing businesses or tailoring businesses that are local to where people live and they, you know, collect the clothes to repair and they send them off to these people and then they bring them back. But what's really cool is that they're also collecting data on all of this stuff. So then Sojo has this other kind of revenue opportunity where it can work with brands and tell them what's actually going wrong with their clothes so that hopefully those clothes brands can make more robust items in the future. And, you know, Sojo makes more money and hopefully gets to scale its business and help more people fix more of their clothes and support these seamsters, many of whom are often women.
1: That's super interesting. So, they'll have this consumer facing side of their business and then also a B2B side, I guess, with the data. And then there was one other interesting news story that kind of stood out to me this week, given that competition for talent in the tech industry is so, so hot right now. We had Miriam Partington, our reporter in Berlin, write about Ravio, a startup that's trying to fix the salary transparency problem, which is also kind of linked to talent retention and hiring.
0: Yeah, so Ravio is pretty cool. It's um a bunch of people who've worked at places like delivery before and they recognize that when, you know, everyone everyone needs to hire people all the time and it's super super competitive and often you just kind of get pipped to the post by another company on the salary. And you know, if there's a candidate you really really want, that's very frustrating because maybe you could have offered them the salary they were actually after. But getting hold of reliable benchmarks and up-to-date benchmarks in a market where salaries are kind of going up and up and up very frequently is... Tricky. So the founder, who's a guy called Merton Wolfert told us that another challenge uh, that the industry faces is often that the salary and equity benchmarks that you can get hold of are often not really geared towards startups. They're much more geared towards bigger companies, which, you know, isn't really relevant. So what Ravio wants to do is it wants to have a platform that you can subscribe to and you can figure out the right kind of perks package. So equity and salary and benefits for a person doing a particular job with a particular amount of experience, and that that would be real time. So it'd be always updating.
1: But don't they have a huge challenge ahead of them, Amy, given that salary transparency is super low right now?
0: I think a bigger challenge is that they've got what they describe as the cold start problem, which is that they need a lot of data and a lot of recent data from the companies they hope to be working with to make it relevant and a great platform for those companies. But that's a bit chicken and egg because, you know, they won't have the great data until they get lots of people on board. But lots of people maybe don't want to get on board until they have the really good data. So they need to figure out. How to do that. And also, yes, they need to make sure that they get reliable salary data. Someone suggested that perhaps if candidates are submitting their own salary data, they might try and boost it in the help of benchmarking up the market. I'm not sure how much people would actually do that, but there will be some complexities to iron out, I'm sure.
1: It's really interesting. You know, in the UK, we also have seen that job platform, Auda advocate for more salary transparency so it'll be interesting to see where we are in like five years you know maybe we'll actually be in a much better place for talent looking for a new position Mm -hmm. thanks amy for our next story we're going to be talking to sifted's fintech reporter amy o'brien about fintechs in europe that are raising money to build products for immigrants and expats So I'm super excited about this story because I am an expat that has lived in three different countries other than my own home country. And each time that I've gone to a new country, there's been some sort of nightmare with opening a bank account, getting a credit card, all of that stuff. So when I edited this story, I was like, oh, my God, the trauma's coming back. Um, so it was really interesting to see all of these new solutions directed at expats and immigrants. So, Amy, like, what are some of the pain points that these fintechs are looking to solve?
2: Yeah, so... I think the first thing to say is that actually like, quite a few of the founders of the companies I spoke to were immigrants themselves. So like you, they've been through these issues and couldn't wait to come back and like address them and, and found a fintech to solve the issues. So the first main pain point that so many immigrants spoke about was access to credit. And so the main problem there is um, the ability to transfer your credit score from country to country, so I spoke to Ashtosh Bat, who is the founder of Pillar. And he founded this company last year to try and solve this issue. He was head of lending at Revolut before this. But he came to, over to the UK like 14 years ago from India. And he had a really good job at Barclays. But he wasn't allowed to buy an iPhone because of the lack of credit history and he also wasn't able to get a credit card so ever since then he'd been wanting to solve this issue. It's a really really difficult problem to try solve because there's so many data privacy issues in every single country but Pillar is very ambitious and setting out to do that. I think it's been regulated by the SCA as an agent lender and at the moment it has access to Indian credit bureau data. So that's its starting point, And it means that people coming over from India to the UK can just open a pillar credit card and their credit history is actually transferred. That's their starting point, And then they're looking at other markets. It's obviously a slow process. It's quite difficult to um, get each credit bureau on, um, on board, but they've just raised 13 million from some really impressive investors including global founders capital so it, i think it's clearly clearly a problem that many investors are behind
1: i thought it was interesting that another pain point that immigrants relocating to a new country was having was building generational wealth obviously you show up you don't have any savings and so how are you going to have some real wealth that you can actually pass down to your children or that you can use to make significant purchases in your life and i thought it was super interesting that we're also seeing fintechs going into that space as well and there was one that you wrote about in the article too
2: yeah, definitely. It's really interesting culturally looking at this one as well. So it's not just a problem that first generation immigrants are having, but it's something that actually sort of puts second generation and third generation immigrants on the back foot compared to families that have, you know, been able to accumulate financial assets for four or five generations in, in whatever country they're living in. So I spoke to Bloom Money, and the founder of Nina Mahanti, and they're developing a product called Bloom Circles, which is based on, in academia, it's called RUSCA, the Rotating Credits and Savings Association. But essentially, it's this behaviour, this pattern among different cultures. It's really popular among Asian cultures, but also in Latin America, where Different people in the community all sort of have a collective savings pot. Every month they put in a certain amount of money. And then the idea is that when somebody is in financial distress or maybe they want to pay for something like a wedding or a dowry, they're able to go in and take money out of this cumulative pot and they sort of rotate who is able to do that. Because although in the West we think of our money as like really quite individualistic and we're really private about it and, and we'd never think of sharing um, in other cultures, it's quite different from that. So Nina is just trying to formalise and digitalise this behaviour through Bloom Money so that people are able to have these digital pots through the Bloom app. Um, And she's also hoping that because this is a positive financial behavior, that eventually Bloom Money might be able to help people build a credit score as well.
1: I thought it was also really interesting. You touched on this cultural aspect to saving. And you spoke to one of the angel investors of Bloom Money who was talking about how this cultural cohesion can also actually be part of how these startups defend themselves as a business as well. Versus bigger fintechs,
2: exactly. And she was talking about how within these communities, it's quite difficult to build trust. And so, if you're able to go in with this understanding of how people are saving informally, and you're able to crack that market, I think they're they're really counting on blue money sort of being spread by word of mouth within communities. If you're able to get those communities on board. This angel investor was speaking about how the neobanks haven't really cracked that and because they're a little bit too generalist and these people feel sort of excluded from that. And yeah, they were speaking about how it's actually a really large market. And if, if they expand, you know, most fintechs are always speaking about going west, and expanding into the US, but I think their idea was to expand into the east or into the countries where lots of these immigrants and their families are based
1: So you almost build in the stickiness by speaking to a specific community, which I guess, yeah, a major fintechs that are more generalist might not have. You also spoke to an interesting company called Cadmos. What were they doing? Yes, Cadmos, they
2: are trying to solve cross-border salary payments, which the founders were telling me are very, very complicated, you know, admin intensive, but also there's lots and lots of hidden fees involved. The really interesting thing about Cadmos is that their rollout strategy is they're focusing on different industries, one industry at a time. So the founders were telling me that apparently there's two million seafarers. Those are people that work on ships for, you know, six months at a time in the world. So that's quite a big market. And so that's the first market they're targeting. They just want to go and hopefully be the go-to salary payment provider for these two million. And then they'll move on to a different industry. So with Seafarers, apparently they're paid really, really nicely, like up to $15,000 a month. But they lose quite a bit of that because of the, the current salary payment issues. A lot of the time they are waiting months to be paid for work they were doing a few months back, which when you're moving from country to country affects your life you know, considerably. And then also lots of the employers were paying fees like $50 per person per month, as well as loads of other admin costs. So that's the problem that Cadmos is trying to solve. They've created what they call a closed loop system. So the employer is the only source of funds going into an e-wallet Cadmos has set up. And then every employee has a CADMOS debit card so they can spend from their salary straight from this e-wallet. But the only person putting money into that is the employer. Therefore, the compliance and the KYC, know your customer issues are sort of taken care of by CADMOS. Growth-wise, obviously, they're not going to stay with these seafarers forever. And the next industry they have their eyes on is construction workers, mainly those who are working in the Gulf who come from you know all over to 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 work in construction there and then after that they are going to look into health workers in
1: europe super interesting i think your article raised so many good points amy and it'll be really interesting to see if these fintechs that are targeting more niche communities grow just on the back of those niche communities or if they actually go more mass market so looking forward to an update in like i don't know two years or whatever thanks amy
0: This podcast is brought to you by Zendesk for Startups. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from day one. With the Zendesk for Startups program, startups get Zendesk customer support software for free for six months. You'll get access to expert advice and a community of founders and CX experts to help you build the foundation for long-term growth. Learn more and claim your six months free at Zendesk.com forward slash sifted.
1: For our final section, we're going to go back over to the other Amy, Amy Lewin in Riga, who's talking to Tom Aukman, co-CEO and co-founder of Nord Security that just raised $100 million last month.
0: So Nord Security makes a popular VPN provider called NordVPN, but maybe lots of people in the startup world might not really have heard about them because they were bootstrapped for 10 years. So that means they haven't raised any external funding. For 10 years pretty unusual for a startup and then as Eleanor just said raised an 100 million dollar round last month at a 1.6 billion dollar valuation so straight into unicorn status and I'm going to pick Tom's brains a bit about why he decided to raise VC money in the end so I'm here joined by Tom Ockman, who is the co-CEO and co-founder of Nord Security do you want to explain a little bit about what you do? But you are the biggest tech company in Lithuania.
3: Yeah. Uh, thank you for having us here. Wow. Yeah, we're we're North Security. So um, you know, we started. I started the company together with my co-founder um, back in 2012, early 13, and uh, we saw that the internet uh, is not, you know, is is becoming a place like it now was intended to be, by you know, by design, by our by uh, Sir Tim Berners Lee. The internet was designed to be um, a place where devices trust each other, but in the recent years, you, you know, this guy's better than me. Just, thought, it seems that all the media is buzzing, someone could have hacked, or identity stolen, or, or pictures stolen, and it became kind of a bit scared place to be. So our mission is to build a radically better internet. And yeah, we focus on doing that for the last, you know, 10 years. And uh, we're happy, you know, that uh, a lot of people trust us and our products. Um, along the way.
0: And what exactly do you do? How do you make the internet a safer, happier place?
3: Yeah. So we have, you know, we want to build a radically better internet where you don't, you know, download our software, turn it on, enjoy, relax, you know, uh, if you're a business or a consumer as well, you know, safe and uh, open internet. And currently we have uh, multiple products in our suite. We have our flagship product that's, you know, currently the biggest brand um, in in, in the VPN category called NordVPN. We have also Password Manager and NordPass, which is both for consumer enterprises. We have a cloud storage called NordLocker for also uh, consumers and enterprises, and also NordLayer, Mm -hmm. which is uh, our ZTNA offering for businesses. As well, we have um, uh, uh, another brand called Surfshark uh, with its different product portfolio with Surfshark antivirus. Surfshark, um, alert, search, uh, and also encoding um, uh, if you want to delete yourself from internet, basically your information, right? To be forgotten, right? Uh, cool. And yeah. you
0: hit the headlines because you raised a hundred million US dollars last month, right? Yeah. You catapulted into unicorn status and that was the first time you'd ever raised VC money. So why did you go so long without raising? And then why did you decide to turn to the, the dark side?
3: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, first of all, we've been, um, you know, this that didn't happen overnight, obviously. We've been building this for, for the last 10 years. And we've been building this out of a very small country in the Baltic States called Lithuania, and, you know, especially from Vilnius. And if you, if you look backwards, you know, 10 years ago, Baltic States was not on a VC map, right? You know, people didn't care about it. It was, you know, based in Silicon Valley, a bit of London, maybe, you know, a bit of Germany, but you know, non-Baltic states. And uh, we figured that, you know, we want to, you know, do the old fashioned way and, you know, bootstrap the business. And funnily enough, if you, you know, looking currently in the ball in Lithuanian startup scene, there are many companies that are bootstrapped and it's by nature that it happened. Mm-hmm. And after 10 years, as, as we grew to a pretty significant scale. We had, you know, we had, you know, to choose whether we want to keep it as it is and, you know, grow, which is pretty comfortable life that you can, that you can do. But at the same time, if we want to, if we can find partners that could, you know, supercharge us, that would believe in our mission, you know, help us out, we would definitely, uh, you know, invite them to join us. And I'm very, very happy that we found top institutional investors from the US, from the UK, from the Germany, and also a number of angel investors, like 15 angel investors, you know, from Helsinki and, and mm-hmm. you know, other places just to expand our ecosystem and, and reach to support us on our mission, you know, and things that we don't know.
0: And what does that look like? So what, what's gonna, what does supercharged growth mean? You're already at several thousand employees. Yeah. What happens next?
3: Yeah, so obviously we want to go more, you know, and uh, expand our enterprise offering and footprint that uh, will require additional investments. You know, the investors, they're doing their job, is invest money and get their returns, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously they have done their homework when they've looked into our business. Uh, that also convinces us that there is a huge opportunity ahead. So um, we got to, you know, we have big ambitions and uh, together with the right partners, we want to, you know. Grow, and what grow, was grow. the
0: like founder maths you did? Because obviously you've given away a chunk of equity now. You used to, between you guys, own it. Or, you know, do you, you think they can help you make it such a significantly more valuable business that it's worth doing that?
3: Worth yeah. Giving
0: away a slice.
3: You see, it, it, you know, it's a bit different story when we're, you know, come up with with this pretty late stage, as you know, other come uh, other founders in CASC, you know, have only you know twenty percent left or so. So we're still controlling the majority of the mm-hmm. business, and we're ha- very happy to be comfortable, you know, you know that we can do any decisions and everything that we've done. Nothing yeah. really changes. They're just here to help us out. And these folks are, you know, operators, uh, ex-founders and, you know, people that could connect us, could help us out, could support us, you know, have a different voice and opinion in the board. Mm-hmm. Super happy. I mean, and um, it's all about the next phase and the next challenge. It's you, you, I want to go out of the comfort zone.
0: Thank you, Tom. And that brings us to the end of the show. This
1: episode of the Sifted podcast was recorded at Dream Factory, a content creation house for startups that's based in Shoreditch. And they've kindly offered Sifted readers a discount code, which gives you £300 off of the £3,000 yearly membership. All you've got to do is quote Sifted 300 when you book a tour or apply for membership.
0: And if you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, please check out our website, sifted.eu and. Final plug for a very exciting event that is happening in Tallinn, just a mere four hour bus journey from where I am right now in Riga on May the 3rd. So that's next Tuesday. We will be hosting an all day shindig for founders and operators and startup folk in the Baltic region in Tallinn. It's going to be awesome, and we're also going to be recording the podcast live. So if you are Someone in the Baltic ecosystem, if you're a founder or a startup operator, you can get a ticket for free. Please check that out. It's called Sifted Sessions Talon.
1: I'm super excited about our first live podcast. It's going to be cool, Amy. And to everyone that's listening, if you want to read more Sifted stories, we've got lots of newsletters for you to follow from the website. And let us know what you think of the podcast on Twitter or email. We are here at hello at sifted.eu and looking forward to hearing stuff from Tallinn next week Bye-bye. bye bye bye